Thanks for joining us for another great message from Influences Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to influences.church. And now for our message. One verse, Matthew 12 to 17, but I'm gonna read verse 17. One verse. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I wanna preach to you tonight for a few moments on when the kingdom comes, when the kingdom comes. When the Queen of England travels, it's been reported that it can cost one trip to one nation in the Commonwealth can cost a estimated amount of about $20 million. Now I don't know about you, but that's a lot of luggage. Um, and such is the entourage and such is the amount of supplies and medicos. And in fact, they take um, fresh supplies of her blood on the planes everywhere she goes, just in case something happens. And so when she travels, there is this attention, there is this uh, extravagance that is attached to her trips. If the queen came to your house, you would do more than a spring clean. You'd, you'd turn that place upside down, right side up, renovate that sucker. You'd do whatever you could to get that house in tip top shape because you want to present it in such a way that would be fitting and honorable for the Queen of England. The closest I'm gonna get to the Queen of England visiting me is my grandfather turned 100 at Christmas time and he got a photo and a card and a letter from the Queen. She was looking fantastic, at least my grandfather thought. And, uh, and so the Queen is there at uh, our Christmas family event. We present this thing and it was like she was just there in the room. And it was amazing. That's the closest I'm gonna get to the Queen coming to my house. But let me tell you something tonight is that we serve a King. His name is Jesus. And he's greater than any king or queen on this planet. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.15, he's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. The Bible tells us in Daniel 4.32, his dominion is everlasting from generation to generation. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 9.7, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Jesus spoke more about the kingdom of God than anything else. Why is it that we hear very little about the kingdom of God in the modern church? But yet in the Gospels, Jesus and the kingdom are as inseparable as a Collingwood supporter without teeth. It just goes hand in hand and all the crows and Supporters, we won't talk about that other team, power, or, or say amen, because we know that that's true. Definitely, I'm from Melbourne, my church is in Richmond and beyond. We don't have a lot of love for Collingwood supporters. And so, Jesus said, I just lost someone right there. Jesus said in Matthew, maybe Eddie, Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the ends of the earth and then the end shall come. Maybe one of the reasons why there is a delay in Jesus' return is His church is preaching a different gospel to the gospel that Jesus came preaching. What is the kingdom of God? To understand it, you need to understand what it isn't. The kingdom of God is not political rule. St. Augustine, way back when, popularized this idea 
of the kingdom of God is established through military might and financial wealth. And this idea is what fueled the holy wars and the crusades in the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, and misrepresented the truth of the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. So the kingdom of God is not about military might and power. It needs to be in the political arena, but it's not about trying to uh, be superior to a citizenship or to a particular group or region. Neither is the kingdom of God simply about social justice. Social justice is important. Community transformation is extremely important but there are lots of organizations in our society and community that do such an amazing work and yet all the people that they serve won't necessarily spend eternity in relationship with God. You can serve the practical and social needs of a society, but if you don't deal with the issues of people's hearts, pe people will spend a Christless eternity. The kingdom of God is not a self-help gospel that's all about helping you live your best life now. The kingdom of God is not simply about helping you to succeed in your relationships and your career and your studies and your workplace. And, and whilst the Bible has principles and insights that will help you in regards to all of those life application areas of our life, the reality is the self-help gospel. By the way, there's no such thing as self-help in the kingdom of God. If you could help yourself, you wouldn't need a saviour. You wouldn't need a king and you wouldn't need a Lord. This is the truth and the power of the gospel. We were dead in sin. We were lost in sin. And apart from Jesus, we were gonna spend all eternity separated from God. We needed a saviour. So maybe we should put our self-help books away and pick up the God help book and actually read it and devour it and allow it to change us and transform us. The problem with the self-help gospel, it's void of power to cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, prophesy the secrets of your heart. The kingdom of God is not simply about what God did in history or what God is even gonna do in the future at the end of the age, at the consummation of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is actually available right now to every single person in this room. The word basileia actually means, that the word kingdom, basileia means not a place, but a realm in which God rules and reigns over people. And so there are three expressions of the kingdom. There is kingdom eternal. This is God's sovereign rule and reign throughout all of human history, where it doesn't matter how much you pray or don't pray. God's sovereign rule and reign and purpose is gonna be established in the earth and ultimately His plan is gonna come to pass. I don't know about you, but I take great courage and hope from the fact that whether COVID comes and goes, whether there are all sorts of causes and issues in culture and society, I take great courage in the fact that God's purpose will prevail over every tragedy, every crisis, every issue that may come against us because God as King over all creation will ultimately have the final say. 
But then there is also kingdom to come, which is when Jesus returns for a pure and spotless bride and establishes a new heaven and a new earth. The fullness and the consummation of the kingdom will be established, but you need to know something. The kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God's presence is available and accessible to every single person who believes in Jesus right now. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6.10, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus declared, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was saying the kingdom of heaven is standing among you and I am it. He was the king, he is the king and he is the reigning king to come. And we love the idea of little baby Jesus at Christmas time all rolled up and all cute and warm and fuzzy. But you need to understand, he's a fully grown adult now and he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's coming back on a white horse with a tattoo on his leg with our eyes of flaming fire and with a sword coming out of his mouth and he's coming back not in judgment of the church but in judgment of the enemy and in judgment of the nations that have not believed in him and now we find ourselves in a time where we need to access that which has been made available to us. When Jesus announced the kingdom, no one thought to themselves, well, finally, someone is here to tell me how to get saved. No one thought that in Israel back in the day. When Jesus announced the coming of the kingdom, images and ideas of King David, the prophets, the temple, Jerusalem, and how do we kick the pagan rulers out, the Romans out, those were the ideas that came to mind. The kingdom of God makes no sense until you understand the kingdom story of the Bible. And the problem we're trying to understand and interpret the kingdom story of the Bible is that we bring a Western individualized worldview to the Bible and the kingdom story, and we think that the Bible and the kingdom story is all about us. When the kingdom story is actually all about the king, it's about Jesus. And so traditionally, we've summarised the Bible through four fundamental things. Creation, God created the heavens and the earth. He created mankind after His image. The fall, Adam and Eve, which is a picture of you and I rebelling against God. Then redemption in Jesus as the solution to the problem of sin. And then the consummation of the kingdom at the end of the age when Jesus returns as a risen, conquering Saviour. And whilst that is true and that is good, it tends to cause us to read the Bible from an individualized perspective where we believe that the kingdom story is all about our personal salvation rather than what Jesus is trying to do on the planet. And in the process, what happens is, is we ignore 99% of the Old Testament and God kingdom story is weaving right through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. If the gospel of the kingdom is first about him and then about us, we need to know the kingdom story. The kingdom story in summary form is simply plan A, plan B and back to plan A because God's plan A is always what he intended. Plan A is this, God alone is king. We being Adam and Eve, being us, rule under God's authority. But we, if we were in that garden, we usurped God's rule. And so because of the fall, God decided he was gonna make a covenant with another human being. That person's name was Abraham. 
And through Abraham, he would establish a new line, a new heavenly but earthly family line where he would rule through his people. That now leads us to God's plan B. God alone is king. And now through Abraham, Israel is to rule and represent and be a witness for God on the earth under God's authority. But what does Israel do? They repeat Adam and Eve's rebellion and sin and they usurp God's rule and they say, we want a king like the other nations. We want to be led like all of the other pagan nations. We don't want you to be our king and leader anymore, God. We want to be like all of the other pagan nations and God in His grace. Aren't you glad that God is a God of grace? He accommodates. Do you realise how accommodating God's grace is in your life and my life? I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today or having the opportunities I have apart from God's grace. I'm just not that clever. Something tells me none of us are either. We all need God's grace in our life and God in His grace accommodates and says, okay, I'll give you a king, but that king that was given, so too usurped God's rule and authority. And then God said, I'm gonna raise up a king after my heart. We know that man is King David. And so God, through the rest of the Old Testament, essentially tells the story of King David. And after King David died, that there was now coming a new perfect king. And so God would forgive Israel's sin through their obedience and observance to the law. But all of the old covenant was a shadow of what was to come in the kingdom of God through Jesus. God returns to plan A. And now God alone as King rules through a perfect King, King Jesus. And Israel and the church, anyone who would believe in His name, now lives under the righteous rule and reign of King Jesus. And forgiveness is extended to everyone who believes. And we are in that day and that age where we are heading towards a collision with the fullness and the consummation of the Kingdom of God at the end of the age. When the Kingdom of God comes, and you and I are invited into that kingdom story, what is it that happens? A few things that happen. Firstly, what happens is God's power is demonstrated. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. We have become satisfied with verbal explanations of the kingdom rather than visible demonstrations. When John the Baptist asked Jesus, are you the one to come or shall we look for another? It's amazing how John the Baptist is a prophet. He prophesies that Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He knows who Jesus is. But when you and I are in a place of paradox and contradiction, we begin to doubt and question the very things that we know to be true in our hearts. Don't allow the past season you've been through or the cave that you might find you're in right now cause questions of doubt about who Jesus is and what He's called you to do to distract you from the call of God, the purpose of God and what God is bringing you into. How did Jesus answer John the Baptist? He's answered by pointing to the demonstrations of power in His ministry. He said, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised up, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Just recently, literally a story hot off the press. Five weeks ago on a Monday morning on my Sabbath, I received a phone call, I was out 
cycling, riding my bike, enjoying myself on the Danny Nongs of Melbourne, and I get this flurry of text messages and phone calls, and it was my dad's neighbour, and she said, uh, can you please urgently call me? And I rang her, and she was in um, emergency at uh, Box Hill Hospital in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, and my father had had a second acute stroke in 20 years. Later discovered two clots in the back of his brain. Quickly, I rode home at a furious pace down the hill. Nearly needed a hospital myself. And uh, I ended up getting there about three hours later. And for three hours, my dad had been completely unresponsive. This is all a true story, all documented. And I walked in and as I walked in, my dad literally is on that hospital gurney. His whole left side is paralyzed. His face is all contorted. He is not communicating. At best, mumbling, absolute gibberish, nothing. He's unresponsive, blacked out at different times in that 20 minutes that I saw him. Doctor said, we just wanna let you know that your father has had an acute stroke. We're going to confirm where the clots are, what's happening, but prepare yourself for months of recovery. I laid hands upon his head, said a simple prayer in the authority of the power of the name of Jesus, lifted my hand, nothing happened. Have you ever prayed, believed, and not seen anything happen? You're all, there's a lying spirit in this room right now. I'm like, God, where is your power? I preach about it, I pray for it, I seek you for it, I believe for it, I got faith for this. Where is your power? My dad was taken to a CT scan to confirm the symptoms of what had happened. They said, we'll be back in 30 minutes. I walked out because of COVID regulations in Melbourne. My wife was outside the hospital. I said, hey, this is what's happening, it's serious. And, and if you only knew, I can't go into detail, but the, the potential implications and consequences in our extended family uh, with this issue, it was huge. And so I walked back in and no word of a lie, they wheel him back in. He's sitting upright in his bed with a smile on his face. He's waving his paralyzed arm and leg around and he looks at me and he says, how are you, son? I said, I'm very good now, thank you very much. And literally during the CT scan, he sat upright and had a lucid, fluent conversation with the doctor and the doctors came in and they're testing and they're prodding and they're checking and they said over the next four or five hours of observation, literally these words, we don't understand it, we can't explain it. So we're putting him in the too hard basket. He has two clots in the back of his brain. He shouldn't be able to speak the way he is, fluent speech and all strength returned to his limbs within 30 minutes because I'm here to tell someone there is still power in the name of Jesus. And when the kingdom of God comes, God's power is demonstrated. It wasn't in how loud I prayed or in the formula, it was the spirit of faith and authority, a revelation of the authority of the name of Jesus that transforms people from a death position to a life position. Literally 48 hours later, he picked up his little man bag and walked out of that hospital. He was on the prayer line the next week praying for people who are sick in their body because when you get healed by Jesus, you don't just get healed, you become the healer and you actually start to heal others in Jesus' Name. 
Since then, literally, people with kidney failure completely healed. A man with no optic nerve, blind eye, he's now starting to see images and figures and colours. It's impossible for him to be able to see, but the power of the Holy Spirit is manifesting when the kingdom comes. Not only that, but when the kingdom comes, Satan's authority is defeated. The Bible says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Wherever Jesus went, he confronted Satan and his weapons, sin, sickness, and death. The Bible says in Colossians 2.15, he has disarmed rulers and authorities. He's put them to open shame. He's triumphant over them. I remember getting a phone call at midnight from the creative pastor way back when. Got to come over the house, one of our teams manifesting demons. I'm like, it's always the creative team, isn't it? And so not, not, not here, not here, church down the road. And so I'm like, I'm not, it's midnight. I'm not coming. Like my number's not 1-800-GHOSTBUSTER. Call somebody else. I said, you're a Christian. You deal with it. Why do we always have to call the special weapons and tactics team in to do what Jesus has commissioned every single believer to do? It's that we just don't equip people to do it. And so I roll up there just after midnight, put one foot over the front door. This person I was coming to minister to didn't know that I was coming. And I hear in this gravelly voice, Corey, don't bother, we're not going anywhere. And I looked at the creative pastor and said, well, at least I know I'm in the right house. And over about 15, 20 minutes, we ministered freedom to this young man and today, He's a youth pastor in a church, happily married. God is using him in an amazing way because when the kingdom comes, there is an exercising of the authority of the name of Jesus over demonic and oppressive spirits. Where was that battle won? It was won in the wilderness. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 28, if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons and the kingdom of God has come upon you. You see, it was in the wilderness. You need to know the wilderness was a place in both Old Testament and New Testament times as a place of evil entities. It was known as a place that you didn't wanna be. That's why the high priest would transfer the sins of the people onto the goat called the scapegoat and send it out to wander across the wilderness because the wilderness was known as a place of evil entities. And so where does Jesus go by the Spirit not just to pray and fast and get ready for ministry, but to actually go and confront Satan himself in the desert and the wilderness. And he responds with, it is written, not this is how I feel today. Or this is what the podcast said. Well, this is what the pastor said. But this is what God's Word says. And so in a perfect place called Eden, where the first Adam failed, in an imperfect place called the wilderness where evil entities dwell, the second Adam triumphed. And then Jesus comes back and He returns. He sends out 72. Have you ever wondered why the Bible uses certain numbers? Why the heck 72? Why not 122? Why not 82? Why not 52? Why 72? Well, we know that 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel, 72, what's that about? You know in the Bible, the Tower of Babel, when God comes and confuses all the languages, the people at the Tower of Babel, because they were building 
a monument to themselves. 72 nations were dispersed across the face of the earth from the Tower of Babel. And when Jesus came as conquering King, He's just conquered Satan in the wilderness. He sends out 72 disciples to let the cosmos and the dark powers of, of, of Satan's army and kingdom know, I'm coming to repossess that which was dispersed and lost all the way back in the beginning. And the Bible says when the 72 return, they say, even the demons are subject to us in Your Name. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus was saying, now my kingdom comes. Now it's time for my reign and my victory as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When the kingdom comes, God's power is demonstrated, Satan's authority is defeated, lost people get saved. And when the kingdom comes, the church of Jesus Christ is established. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. One of the reasons why often the church doesn't prosper or flourish or move forward is we're trying to build what Jesus said He would build when we're ignoring the command and the call to go make disciples of all nations. You go make disciples, believer. You go make disciples, leader, and Jesus will build His church. He said that standing on the rock of Bashan, that rock of Bashan literally was known in Hebrew as the gates of hell. He's standing there and He says, literally, even in this place that you all fear, even in your greatest fears in your life right now, in your family, relationships, in your ministry, finances, sickness in your body, even in that place, where there is a revelation of who Jesus is, there God will come and bring His dominion, power and authority to establish His church and His kingdom and His purposes in your life. And now the kingdom of God is accessible to every single one of us. How do we access it? We repent and believe in who Jesus is. Jesus said, yep, the kingdom of heaven is here. How do you enter it? You repent. What's repentance? Change your mind. Stop living for yourself. Stop living and running away from God, thinking you're the master of the universe and you're the Lord of your life and you've got it all worked out. How's that going for you? There's only one Saviour, one King, one Lord. And we will have no access into the Kingdom of God except through turning away from self and turning to King Jesus and believing in faith and in His Name. This is what Jesus has done for us. And I'll close with this. Imagine with me a father and a daughter walking down the street. They're going to a park to play and the daughter's excited about heading to that park. Can't wait to get there. And in excitement, she tries to pull away from her father's hand and they're holding hand in hand as they walk down the road. The father's like, no, no, not, not, not yet. Because there's a road, there's a street, it's busy with traffic and all sorts of cars and pedestrians and bikes and foot traffic and he's like, no, no, not yet. This little daughter in her immaturity and in her rebellion finally pulls away from her father at a moment when her father may not have been paying as much attention. She darts across the road, failing to see that a semi-trailer of tr uh, a truck is coming towards her. And the father sees what is about to happen. He sees that his daughter is about to be killed by this truck. And he does what every 
good father would do. He runs out into the middle of the road and he puts his body between the truck and his little girl and he sacrifices himself and pushes his daughter out the way so that she can live. And he takes the full force of the truck upon himself. And the first time I heard that story, I thought to myself, that is exactly a picture of you and I with our heavenly father. In our rebellion and in our sinfulness, we think we know better. We don't realise that there's a semi-trailer of sin coming our way. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. No one can escape it. The only way that you can escape it is if the Father sends a solution. And the Father sent His one and only Son, Jesus, King Jesus, the King of this Kingdom who went and stretched out His arms upon a cross and He took the full force and weight of that semi-trailer truck of sin and death upon Himself. He became our substitute. He took upon Himself what you deserved and what I deserved and now we are here in this church auditorium. We are here in this building, building with access to the rule and reign of God's authority to the King and His Kingdom but it must come through the decision and the doorway of repentance and faith. I pray this sermon has blessed you, encouraged you and inspired you. You know, we may never have met, I may not know you, but God knows you. And I'll tell you today, God loves you. That even before you knew about Him, He loved you. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to lead our life in a way that finds answers and finds the peace and finds the joy we're looking for, but we come up short. But God knew that you needed rescuing, that you needed saving, that you needed His love. So He sent His Son Jesus to come and pay the price for our mistakes. He lived a perfect life, but knowing we couldn't, He said, I will take their place. So He died and rose again so that His death could pay the penalty for my mistakes in my past and His life could make a way so that I could have life. I believe that when you believe in what Jesus did and when you invite Him to be Lord of your life, you can experience forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, purpose and life like you've never known before. It's not about what we've done or who we're not. It's about that we have a God who's good, who can turn things for good and loves you. He's a father, he's a friend, and you can invite him into your life today by simply saying this prayer after me. I'm gonna say this prayer and wherever you are, wherever you're watching around the world, pray this prayer with me. Maybe you once knew God and you walked away. You know what, maybe he's getting your attention today to say, come back into relationship with me. Maybe you've known religion, but never a real genuine relationship with God. Why don't you say this prayer too? And I believe this can be the beginning of a great new day. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. I pray you forgive me for my past and you walk with me into my tomorrow. Let me know your grace, your forgiveness, your peace, your purpose, your joy and your hope into my life. I ask you to lead me and guide me from this day forward. Be Lord of who I am in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace, and the love of God comes into your life. You know what? The past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace, and the Word of God go with you from this day forward. And I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer or you want to know more, maybe you're on the journey, why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus 
We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you, and we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.